Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Today is the day. It's probably one of the most important days of 2018. Today is voting day, November 6, 2018. If you haven't already voted, when you're hearing this, please, please, please go and vote. If you're in California, remember that if you haven't registered to vote before today, you still can vote. You just have to go to one polling place, register, Mm -hmm. and then go to a second polling place. And they're all over the place, so it's not like you have to drive very far. So if you didn't listen to our episode on the propositions, we tried to make it very easy for you. Help Um, out. We get it. You're you're very But no, it's very important. And, And if you are not happy with the state of affairs in this state, in this country, whether or not your dissatisfaction is of recent or has been for a while, the only way you can make change happen is to vote. So we hope that everyone goes and votes today. It's it's a very important day. Yeah, I mean, you just completely took over the voting thing, but I get the, the more special news. Um, it's actually our one-year anniversary of our podcast, so happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. We made it one year. I feel like we should have some champagne right now while some we're champs. talking. And we'll do it after. Bubbles. <laughs> yeah, so we, we made it a year. We're pretty happy with uh, where our podcast is and where it's going, and we have you, the listeners, to thank. We always kind of pinch ourselves when we get emails from teachers in Pennsylvania or, you know, program specialists here in California or when we see um, different district personnel and parents sharing their point of views on our Facebook group, um, we can't believe that we've been able to kind of create a little bit of a community where um, you guys feel it's a safe space. I know people talk about that all the time, but, you know, it's hard to find people that really understand this area of the law, let alone all the different types of unique needs and learning differences that these kids have so and we want to give a shout out to anyone who's been listening from the very beginning we appreciate you we couldn't have been doing it continuously without you guys listening otherwise we'd just be talking to each other which i mean is a normal day-to-day thing but still recording ourselves and putting it out um and we actually also want to um say thank you to our podcast producer nicole really without nicole none of this would have happened no um, amanda and i had this idea for for a long time and just her efficiency and well organized just plan of attack really helped us out because that was the kick yeah. in the butt that we needed so nicole um we would be nothing without you so we thank you so very much for being on this ride with us for this last year yeah um, it's it's been a whirlwind we we had a our big fundraising event in September and we were like astonished by all the professionals that really came out yeah you know I think what we're planning on doing in 2019 um is trying to to kind of get a a, that family friendly crowd or or event we know it's hard on a weekday But we were really, really stoked with the amount of professionals that came out and wanted to know when we would have more. So we're hoping that we can put you guys in touch and you guys being different parents and and parent support groups in touch with these professionals 
So we, we got some big things that we want to happen in 2019, and um, we're happy that we have a little community that we can share with. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, everything that we do in, in 2019, we're really going to try to make sure everything is recorded for the pod. So for those of you who are not in Southern California, you still have an opportunity to participate. Um, and in line with that, this Thursday on the 8th, we're actually going to be doing a presentation to a class of future social workers that we are going to record the presentation and have that be um, an episode for next week. So you'll get to kind of see how we do our presentations, you know, to communities, to not just parents, but anyone who's involved (laughs) with this population, how they can better serve families and parents and children. Um, So today, what we kind of want to talk about is because we're going to be presenting to future social workers, Mm -hmm. the main demographic that they work with is foster youth. And so we wanted to take a moment today to talk about the implications of a child being in the foster care system on their education. Yeah, I think I mentioned this. My aunt uh, was a foster care parent for well over 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, And towards the end, she ended up adopting four kids, four kids in total, um, obviously, she had adopted my cousin Ken very early on when he was a baby, and then um, the last set of kiddos that she had adopted, you know, she was well into retirement age, but just knew that they needed a home. So for me, I've definitely seen what, like, phenomenal foster parents are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, We obviously are 317E attorneys, which is just reference to welfare and institution code through the Los Angeles uh, court system where we get appointed students or we can be appointed um, to students who are in the foster care system or in the juvenile detention system that need uh, advocacy services. So I've seen the opposite of what phenomenal foster care parents are or or just even, you know, some parents and the effects of of what happens on those kiddos. So today is like a precursor to that presentation that we're going to do where we try and talk about, you know, the benefits of knowing a little bit about the law. You know, obviously they're not going to be the attorneys that are advocating. Right, they're not going to be advocating, but it's that idea that anyone who touches the lives of these these children um, in this population really need to be aware of the resources out there, the services that are available, because especially with this population, because... The foster kids aren't going to know, right? And right. all of most of you listeners are parents, and you are advocating for your child. So imagine if you weren't there to advocate for your child. Yeah. So we want to make sure that social workers and foster parents that are involved are aware um, of these resources so that they can advocate for these kids. Yeah, and, and a big kind of two big you know themes that we try to put together are the educational rights, which is what we talk about, and school stability. Yes, yeah. in general. Oftentimes we see that school to prison pipeline and there are things regarding, you know, school stability that foster care youth going from uh, Compton to Long Beach, the, the foster care parent may not know that the child could stay at their, you know, resident mm-hmm. or at their resident school, if you will, in Compton and just like little tips and tricks that research has shown, you know, stability for any child. And a child that is a foster care child is not in a stable environment. They're bounced sometimes from foster care home to foster care. And that has lots of implications. So a lot of times people think, well, the, the foster kid may not have that typical diagnosis ability or an obvious diagnosis ability where they don't 
realize that special education is a resource that is afforded to them. We've talked in the past about children that are going through medical treatments like cancer treatments and are in the hospital for a number of weeks, months, days at a time that do miss a chunk of school and how that impacts our education. Mm -hmm. Well, foster youth is very similar. We have kids that are getting bounced around and, you know, maybe there is that fight to keep them at that same school, but there may be a gap because when they move, Maybe the foster parents can't drive them right away. Or, you know, maybe the day that they're moving from one home to another, they can't go to school that day. To they are having to wait to get enrolled into the new school. So there's going to be chunks missing. And, and what we find is that these middle school and high school students that have been in the foster care system most of their lives mm-hmm. have huge gaps in their learning. Right. And so right. while there may not have been a developmental disability from the beginning, there has been either trauma that has caused social-emotional issues or there has been somewhat of a situational disability that has kind of been placed on them. We talk about specific learning disabilities are a gap between ability and achievement. That's not just from developmental difficulties, but that can be circumstantial. That can be situational, right? And so we're dealing with if a kid is missing big chunks of you know, primary education, there's going to be that gap between and ability and achievement. And there's special sections of the education code that apply just to foster care youth. Right. So when you have, for instance, these big gaps, especially when they're in high school, you know, there are some education code sections that indicate that they'll grant exemptions from certain coursework or credits, right? So I had an instance, I think about two years ago, where the child was coming up on 18, I believe she was a senior, And, you know, she should have had Spanish, but as a requirement, but they were like, oh, well, you know, she's foster care youth. And because she was placed, you know, she was still placed with family. They were like, well, this exception, we can apply it. And I had to say, no, no, right. she has an IEP, so she can stay past 18. Mm -hmm. You're not going to just get her this diploma and out. But, you know, if you didn't know that um, about the foster care youth, and as a foster care parent, you know, you're given a lot of paperwork and, and at the end of the day, you're just trying to provide a home and some yeah. stability for a child that could have been bounced for any number of reasons right. from either their custody of their parent or another foster. Yeah. And I mean, the foster parents might be dealing with a number of issues from health issues to you know, just trying to get them to feel comfortable in the home environment. Maybe there's other siblings. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the last thing that they usually have time for is fighting the school. And so one of the reasons why we're doing this presentation later this week is to be able to make sure that social workers know about the side of the education system that is specifically designed to helping foster youth and what their rights are. So then that way that social worker can help at least guide the parent. And, And in some cases we've had them advocate. Um, Sometimes they become CASA advocates as well. And so that's something that it's really important to have as many people that are in this child's life as possible be aware because it shouldn't be a battle. But unfortunately, because not enough schools are aware of the law surrounding foster youth, unfortunately, sometimes it becomes a battle. It becomes something that the parent goes to try to enroll their child and the school either turns them away or or maybe there's failing classes for a child who's in middle school and high school. And because of the failing, the child is refusing to go to school or they're ditching school. And then the school is doing discipline because yeah. they think it's just a discipline issue. And like, you know, um, districts seeing social emotional changes or seeing this kid be bounced around there. It's like, oh, no, it's because of 
his environment, not because he has a disability. Right. And so then that kind of delays things. And so, you know, the purpose of us um, doing the presentation is, is to bring these little things to light for the, the social workers. I've been a 317E attorney for a while. And, you know, there's just certain things that tend to happen over and over. Just because a child is placed in foster care doesn't necessarily mean that the parents as an educational rights holder, that right isn't necessarily terminated. Right. So oftentimes what happens is for us, I would need, you know, typically I have a parent sign an authorization for release of records. So I can request the records from the school mm-hmm. district. And, and act on their behalf. And the parent is just automatically going to be an educational rights holder. Okay. And when we have a foster care youth that's placed and the foster care parent is not necessarily the educational rights holder. Right, because it depends on if the termination of parental rights right. Um, right. You know, and, has and occurred. And that may not be automatic, um, no. or, or the parent is on a, a treatment plan or some type of visitation plan. You know, they, it's always about reunification. But oftentimes, you know, we get referred as the special education attorney, and the foster care parent is the one that's, you know, in contact with parent. Okay, well, I have parents attorney's information through the court so I have to talk to that attorney to Mm -hmm. see if they can get their client to sign you know sometimes if the foster care parent and the parent have a good relationship I can get you know the foster care parent to get me the signature but otherwise it's like 15 million different people are on this one kid's case and it just it kind of slows things down so for us you know it's really important to be able to talk to social workers about this and if you're thinking of or know of foster care parents of becoming a foster care parent or no foster care parents these might be things that they don't necessarily know either right and even just for the social worker being able to make a recommendation you know so they could make a recommendation that maybe there needs to be an assignment of education rights because maybe the foster parent is very involved and needs to be able to go to IEP meetings or even request an IEP meeting because maybe the parent who has the parental rights is not available you know maybe they are incarcerated maybe they don't have a permanent address and so the ability to send IEP documents and Mm -hmm. you know we know these schools if the school they say oh well something was requested and we sent it to the parent but right. the address that they have on file right. has you know is no longer well, valid the and foster care parent wants to be part of the IEP yeah. because the kid is living with them and they should and they should because we talk about that consistency between home and school right. and where is the child living that is right. their home right. and so that needs but to be part of it but it comes in a conflict when the parent right. still has ed rights and you know they may not agree with a placement in a non-public school that was a situation i had a couple years ago but the foster care parent was like no she definitely needs to be placed in a non-public school because she is far behind or because she's not being treated the way that you know she should be treated because of her learning differences and things like that but it is something that we come across oftentimes and and you know another thing that we see too is is when um, a foster child let's say moves to a new home the school may not enroll them and it's like no no it's immediate right. enrollment you, right. like it doesn't matter if the foster kid from his prior school has like fees or textbooks outstanding like yeah it doesn't matter as an excuse. yeah um, yeah one and i think a, a big thing is their educational file if they move around a lot their transcripts and their educational right. records sometimes gets lost in the shuffle and and that becomes difficult so you know if there's one person that's on their case at all times and it's a social worker it's really important for them to know 
you know, kind of uh, about these details. But Vicky mentioned earlier about, you know, the school to prison pipeline and, and what we see more often than not is these kids that are going through the foster care system are more likely to have social emotional issues. And that's something that I know we've talked a lot about being one of those unidentified issues that lead to the need for an IEP, but I think it's even more pertinent in foster care youth because Mm -hmm. it is the school district's inability to recognize, identify, and support the child's social emotional needs that causes them to, to not do well in school and start skipping school and have these difficulties that, that can let lead to them dropping out of school, them being incarcerated themselves. And with a little bit of support from the school, a lot of that can be prevented. And mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not suggesting that the school is solely responsible for a child you know, who is having difficulties from being in the foster care system in the first place, but there is so much a school can do Mm -hmm. to help support that same child. And there is research out there that shows that a supportive school environment can reverse a difficult home environment. Yeah, we've seen a lot of schools or elementary schools in parts of Orange County where they're not sending home homework. Mm -hmm. They're doing homework in class that practice because they know that, you know, the child may uh, be at after-school activities or babysitting where, you know, English is not the primary language. Right. And, and so Or the support system is just not at home to help them there. with homework. Right, right. And, and we've seen some great strides being made with that. Obviously, we want there to be a school-home balance where everybody is, is on the same team, you know, but unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. But it is something that we find is a unique kind of trend that's been happening and not necessarily with foster care youth but that's just something that we know that could happen yeah you know um if you're not getting that support if you're not necessarily and a lot of the foster care youth they'll have other services kind of pinned to them through the county right which is helpful so we'll we'll have um kiddos with wraparound teams and that's important for the school team to know Mm -hmm. because oftentimes the student might be getting these (coughs) services outside of school but there's you know, when we talk about who's supposed to be involved in the IEP team, it's anybody that has involvement with that child. So that wraparound team, you know, any counselors and the social worker, the social worker, not only do they need to know about the IEP process, but they should be at the IEP meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to put another put thing on their plate, <laughs> but for, for cases where it's really important that, you know, there is that collaboration between the school and home, if there's a lot of other moving parts, it's important that the team is discussing and also contemplating these factors as well to help better support. And I think, these situations really require thinking outside the box because mm-hmm. sometimes we are thinking about the fact that maybe they're in a foster home that has six other children and the ability for that foster parent to even come to the IEP meetings or contribute if the social worker or someone else is involved can help. And I think that there's a lot that the school team can do to support and, and not say that there's all this extra work that they would need to do, mm-hmm. but I think making sure that if you're aware that you have a child that is in the foster care system that is a foster child and just the matter of trying to reach out to the social worker trying to reach out to the wraparound team can go a long way and you know it may not be your responsibility to go out and identify all the people in the lives but it is part of the responsibility of the IEP team to make sure that everyone that should be involved in the IEP team is part of the IEP team and so it is something that 
I think a little bit goes a long way um, if you just take a moment to try to reach out. Yeah, you may not always get responses and you may not always get them to be involved, but at least you tried. And right. more often than not, it is going to help because maybe you're going to reach out to five different mm-hmm. groups and maybe you're only going to get one, but that one, it's going to help that one child. Yeah, I mean, when when we're appointed, you know, dad can have his own attorney, mom can have her own attorney, then you have the the probation officer of the child, and then you have the child's education, or not their necessarily their education, but their, their foster attorney, and it's like, oh my gosh, I have like six different people, and, and it's always, you know, I like to get everybody on, on the same page when, when we have the appropriate waivers and stuff like that, because I need to know information if the child is right. in the juvenile system, because maybe the foster care parent doesn't know everything, or maybe dad mm-hmm. still has... Ed writes and kind of is in the picture, but kind of not. You know, is he willing to hand over those rights so that we could get things done a bit quicker? Right. Um, because as we know, you know, there's there's certain timelines that need to be met, especially if the child doesn't have an IEP, and I'm trying to get that child an IEP. Right. 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 So <clears throat> we have timelines that don't happen overnight. If we get assessment, you know, once we request the assessments, and then the school has time to respond, and then we have more time to respond to that assessment plan, and then from the moment that we send that assessment plan there's 60 days and you know we're well into November if we were to do assessments now like you're looking at January for for dates for yeah. IEP meeting yeah and a whole semester has gone by and you know we may have gotten this case assigned to us in early October but October came and went because we were trying to get all right. these people on the same page and right. sometimes a great bridge to that is that social worker Amanda had um mentioned CASA workers actually one of our interns Lauren um, is Mm. a CASA advocate and we are going to have her on to talk about what that process was like because she just spent an entire day going through it and I think that that's important CASA's a court court appointed appointed. I knew it was an acronym and we're chopping it up Um, it's something advocate what's the S Uh, I don't know student advocate court appointed student advocate (laughs) I think that's what it stands for. But, yeah. I mean, essentially, you know, when we talk about kids going from one home to the other and maybe the parent isn't the right position to hold those ed rights because they're not able to really be involved. Court-appointed um, special advocate. Special advocate. Trained, dedicated, okay. and caring community volunteer. And so, you know, we have these situations where the biological parent may not be in the best position to request an IEP and the child may go from foster home to foster home. So it's not like we want to assign the ed rights to one of the foster parents so in some situations and and the social worker oftentimes has so much on their plate that they're helping the child with that some social workers become CASA advocates for Mm -hmm. these individuals but what the CASA advocates do is that can be anybody Mm -hmm. it can be I mean anyone sitting there if if you're listening to this and you've either dealt with um, foster youth in your life or, or you want to be more involved you want to be able to help these kids that that really don't have anyone in their corner it's a training you go through you it's like a one day training you get trained on essentially you're that voice piece for that child you are that advocate you don't it doesn't require special training other than you know the one training you don't have to be a social worker you don't have to be a teacher you don't have to have certain credentials decisions in the best interest of the child and so you're able to talk to the people that you need to talk to and lauren will will go into it a little bit more when we have her on but it's it's definitely something where you know, as a social worker, and this is what we'll probably say in the presentation, what you'll hear us say is is just trying to empower them, right? Because a lot of them don't want to step on toes. They'll show up to IEP meetings and then 
they get you know treated badly and and our goal at this presentation isn't necessarily to get them to be these like hardcore advocates right. just to know a little bit information and and you know what at the end of the day if they just can keep track of things um in writing that goes a long way for right. us so that's probably the biggest piece of advice that we will be um giving them and hopefully you guys can kind of hear how we um, present certain things and if you are in an organization or part of a parent group or part of a a therapy group or you know whatever it may be and you think hey you know what our group would would really benefit from getting some additional guidance pertaining to our specific population you'll get a feel for how we do these presentations geared towards specific populations and we can gear it towards any population so you know if you're sitting out there and and even if you have a staff of four Mm -hmm. um, we'd be happy to come out because the more people that can be made aware um, you know yeah of course you can go and tell your staff to go listen to our podcast but you know I think a training a lot of times goes a long way because we can really be specific Um, we can find out about your organization find out about how you serve this population whatever your population is and we can really gear the legal rights presentation towards that um, to really give you guys some some good feedback and good information so please contact us if you're interested in us doing a presentation because we are a nonprofit, those are free yeah. so don't hesitate to have us come out and and do it and we'd be happy to do so yeah and we hope you guys enjoy the presentation when it drops next week and if you don't uh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, no, but, please, um, please, please don't forget to vote. Um, share your, your voting sticker, a picture of you with your voting sticker oh, yeah, on our Facebook fun. group. Uh, yeah. we want, we'll, Vicky and I will, will share a po- picture of us doing it on Tuesday or today. I mean, <laughs> it'll be today, <laughs> um, but today is Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, we'd love to see yours as well. Yeah. So hopefully, um, you guys get that done and you have enjoyed our little preemptive um, explanation about the presentation that will be dropping next week. All right, have a great week. Bye. Bye.